Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. What a story we have going here. If you're trying to write a, a book and you need a romantic story, one of the best places you can look is right here in the first few chapters of Genesis. Imagine this. Perfect peace is all around. The greenery, the verdant greenery. The flowers are beautiful and brilliant in their color. And the, the mood is quiet. The wind is lightly blowing. And Adam and Eve had just met with the Lord. And now they're walking in the quiet, most beautiful garden spot in all the world. The Garden of Eden. The sun's climbing high in the mountain sky. And the beautiful fragrance of flowers fills the air while the birds sing. And off in the distance, a deer stares on. But he's not afraid. All of nature is at peace. And a little rabbit hops by. These two are left there standing quietly. They're taking in all of the scenery. And the odd thing is, they're naked. The both of them. We feel a bit uneasy saying this because of the encroachment of sin upon our minds. We say that this is a natural response. Well, we're wrong. It's a sinful response. We're ashamed and we feel a bit apprehensive when we mention the word naked. We're not supposed to talk about nakedness in such a wife manner, are we? But Adam and Eve, they stood there naked. And they had absolutely no shame. No shame whatsoever. But why would this be said? That they knew no shame. They were not ashamed. Why would that phrase be added? Shame wasn't even part of the story up to this point. We know the story. Or we should. What was to come is what prompted the addition. The glory found in the garden was soon to be forfeited. Surrendered to selfish desire. So for us, now, nakedness comes with a sense of shame and a desire to cover ourselves. A twinge of conscience. We blush. We're embarrassed. Here in the last verse of Genesis 2, Adam and Eve knew nothing of shame. Nothing. This nakedness that we read about was physical. The fig leaves mentioned in chapter 3 are for a literal covering. Nakedness indicates that they were both opened and exposed before God. God saw everything within and without. There was nothing hidden from his sight. Then sin entered. The forbidden fruit was eaten. There was pleasure gained for a moment, I'm sure, but forbidden fruit is always sweet. Initially, the taste was different, unusual. How odd, and yet how appealing. Even the feel of this fruit was different. You could tell it was packed with, with good meat. It felt good. There was something good about this. There was nothing negative about the situation initially. There was a freedom from the restraints of God. It was attractive and very appealing. I believe we could say that because I believe Adam and Eve both thought so. The sales job that Lucifer pulled off was a brilliant one. The clothes was captivating and solid. Eve plucked what had been bent low to the ground, and it was so easy to do it. The ease of the opportunity made it so convenient. She ate a bite. It was incredible. The flavor, it was astounding. She handed it to Adam. Adam took the fruit and bit the meat from it. And before he could drop his hand, and he looked up, and the world was different. Everything had changed. Eve was gazing at Adam, and Adam looked at Eve. There was shame. Immediately after Adam ate his bite, the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sought immediately to cover themselves. They sewed fig leaves together in order to hide their nakedness. Shame brought with it a desire to hide from one another. They sought to cover their own personal shame. They felt for the first time they were absolutely exposed. And exposure was a strange thing to them. The thing about exposure is this. We want to be noticed and recognized. We want people to see us as being good and 
to be glad to be around us. But, you know, we don't want to be exposed, not for who we truly are or for things that we have done. We don't want to be stared at. For example, we get all dressed up and we go to a meeting. The speaker walks in, walks right past us, doesn't say a word, no handshake, no nod, no greeting. He just walks by. We're put off by his arrogance and this rudeness. He's aloof. He could have at least said something, but no, he goes on up to the podium and he stands behind the lectern, lays out his papers. As we sit there, a bit upset, thinking, what an attitude. But okay, let's consider this. Another guy comes in and sits right across from you. And he stares directly at you. Now he's noticing you. He says hello, and he nods a polite nod when he sits down, has that kind of a hey, how you doing smile. But he starts to watch you. You start to feel a bit uncomfortable. You blow your nose, and you brush your hair back, and you adjust your collar, taking a peek as you do this over to that guy that's been staring at you. Your eyes meet just for an instant, and you flash back looking out the window, thinking something is amiss. Why would he be staring at me like that? Eventually, you feel put off by this odd behavior, and you ask, Excuse me, what are you staring at? You know, we want to be noticed, but too much is simply too much. We do not want to feel exposed to the watching eye of another person. We start to feel embarrassed and perhaps a bit ashamed. What does that person really know about me? What does he want? The funny thing is that there's no way to hide from the constant gaze. Adam and Eve had never known anything like this before. They were exposed and they wanted to hide. They were ashamed. For the first time, they knew shame. So, out of shame, they hid. They made themselves a covering. They developed a way to make themselves look acceptable to one another, and hopefully to God. Sin had entered into the psyche of man. Man had fallen. This is what is meant when we say that man has fallen. Paradise had been lost. Adam and Eve created a covering. Then, when God came calling, they attempted to hide themselves completely. They knew these fig leaf's garments were not enough to hide them from his all-knowing and all-seeing gaze. How pitiful sin had left these two. They were cut off from God and having to deal with the shame of this for the first time. The devil had lied. You will not surely die, they, they heard. It, it was a lie. Death comes in a million different ways. The worst death a man can experience is a separation from God. Shame, well, shame follows sin like a shadow. In contrasting ourselves with Adam and Eve, there is a great difference that sets you and I apart. Adam and Eve stood before God and man, exposed with nothing to hide. They had no shame previously. We, on the other hand, have a shade of embarrassment even thinking about being found in the nude. We cannot stand before God, nor do we want to. We run and we hide from him. We become angry when confronted by him and his righteousness. We don't like being exposed. We don't like being shown up for what we truly are, nor for what we've done wrong. And this is why philosophers and professors alike try to explain away the very existence of God. One well-known philosopher named Jean-Paul Sartre, the famous philosopher, supposed the idea of a God who cannot be seen, but only sees. Such an idea of God, he declared, reduces a man from the level of a person who can communicate with another person on an equal level to being nothing more than the object of that one gaze. Being stared at all the time is very troubling. This concept, this idea, this thought made Stop feel less than human. Thus, Stop said for him to be truly human, there could be no God. So he rejected even the idea of God. As a Christian, I reject Stop's idea completely. To be truly human, there must be a God. 
Without him, there is nothing made that has been made. Rather than acknowledging true guilt and being exposed to God, Stop chose to deny God and embrace his guilt. People tend to make this choice quite often. A good example was found when Donald Gray Barnhouse told a story that illustrated this particular tendency we have. He was speaking on a college campus when he noticed a young lady in the crowd had remained after the lecture had been completed. She seemed seriously offended by what he had said. She said, you know, I used to believe all of that, but not anymore. Really? What class are you in, young lady? What year? I'm a freshman, she said. Well, what kind of family do you have? She said she'd come from a Christian background. Really? Do you have a Bible? I do. Do you read it? I used to read it, but not anymore. I told you I no longer believe that stuff. Well, when did you stop reading it? Around Thanksgiving of this year. Really? What happened around Thanksgiving of this year? What happened around November the 10th? Barthouse hit a nerve. The girl started to weep. The shame she felt was evident. And she told Mr. Barnhouse that she had entered into a sinful relationship with a young man. And because of this, she could no longer tolerate the gaze of God when she read her Bible. John Wesley well said, The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. If we're not running from sin, we're running from God who sees and knows our sin. We don't like the idea of standing exposed before him when we're guilty. Adam and Eve stood before God prior to sin with no shame. They had pure communion with God. They did not have any shame between themselves. This is the point that appeals so much to me. They were able to relate to one another with nothing to hide. They didn't have any reason to try to impress each other. She wore no makeup, and he didn't have any coiffed hair. He had no other girlfriends. They were faithful to one another. But we do that. We tend to try to impress each other. We try to seek to impress or to be impressed. Mary wears her best dress as John wears his best shirt and they go out on their first day. They're putting on their best uh, attitude and their best foot forward. Why? Because they don't want the other person to see their foibles and shortcomings right away. Now, as they get older and their efforts become literally, they become more complicated. They become more contrived. They buy expensive cars and they wear expensive clothes. And I've just looked at my watch and it's an expensive watch. And I want you to know that I live in a nice neighborhood and I went to the best of schools. They dress to impress. They don't want the other person to see their foibles and their shortcomings. Huh. The sorrow that this brings is seen in what in that we cannot simply be ourselves. I have known couples who purchase big houses and drive nice cars, but they have very limited furniture and they don't do a whole lot, primarily because all of their money is tied up in their house and their cars. They're trying to impress. Their mortgage leaves them broke by the end of the month, but they sure do look good in society. They wanted to look successful and find ex acceptance among a particular level of society. They didn't want to be seen as unqualified in that crowd. Perhaps a house in the neighborhood, the zip code, that would do the trick. This wasn't the case with Adam and Eve. They knew no shame and found perfect acceptance with one another. They didn't know anything about pretentiousness. But it goes a whole lot further than this. We cannot even find acceptance as we look in the mirror. We do not like what we see or who we are. We do not like empty time when we have nothing to occupy us. We turn on the TV. We turn up the stereo. We read a magazine. We go to a movie. We do something to fill the dead air. Now, how can I say that? Well, I'm a human being. I've read the information referring to the shocking rise of all-purpose antidepressants. 
This has been called the antidepressant generation. Depression, it is said, is pandemic. Anxiety is crippling not just adults, but children as young as 10 years old. The use of antidepressant drugs has risen over 400% in the years 1988 to the year 2008. Now, I realize this is age data, but I'm referring to an article that's written by Peter Warren in 2011. It's grown since then. The federal government estimates that 10% of all Americans take an antidepressant. Some doctors say this uptick in the use of antidepressants is actually a good thing. How so? Well, it reveals that depression has been ignored for so long has gone and has gone untreated. The best cure they can offer, though, is a chemical that covers the cause. It does not remove anything. It's a way of managing the angst and the anxiety and the shame that one feels. Adam and Eve did not need these things. They had no shame. Then sin entered and brought with it all of its baggage. It brings shame and it brings us a desire to hide. It brings fear, doubt, and anxiety. It even brings hate. But as Christians, we find in Christ a new garment to put on. The Lord comes and covers us in his righteousness. He delivers us from our shame. And in Christ, we find freedom from such things, particularly shame. There's a tremendous song that has been sung over the centuries. It's a really good song. It's called Rock of Ages, and there's a particular verse in that song that applies here. And what it says is, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. What I would recommend to anybody listening to this right now is that you find your standing in Christ, and in Him you'll find truly there is freedom from shame. And shame grips us as nothing else does. And it's in Christ that we find the true origins of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.